Amen. Good morning. Have you guys ever thought about just skipping the sermon and continuing to worship? That's awesome. Uh, It's good for me to be back. I was out of town last week, and I'm excited to be here and open the word with you all. Uh, I I listened to Tim's message from last week, and that dude brought the thunder, didn't he? Amen. He did an amazing job at kicking off our mission-driven series and explaining what does it mean What does it mean to be on mission? We don't keep that gospel message that we have in our hearts. We don't keep it bottled up. We share it. We share it liberally and freely. Uh, But this week, so this week, we're going to kind of turn the page and go to the why. Why should I? Why should I be mission-driven? We're going to do that in a different way than I hope you guys would assume Um, Being the missions pastor, you might think, and I think I'd be okay too, to come up here and talk about how many people groups are left unreached in the world and don't have the ability to even know Jesus. I could throw out stats like how Americans last year spent more money on Halloween uh, costumes for their pets than the church spent on reaching the unreached and unengaged. I could do that, and I'd feel right about it, and I'd feel just in doing so. But I want to go a lot deeper than that. So I'm going to tell you guys a love story. And through that story of love, we're going to explain the why. Why should I be on mission for God? In my life, personally, the stats and realities of unreached people groups and things like that I get geeked out about them, Uh, I study them, I strategize ways to change that. Um, They break my heart, they really do. But nothing has driven me in my life more to be missional and intentional every day than hearing and knowing the love of God. His love propels me, and I trust that it does the same for you. So we're going to walk through the first three chapters of Hosea. So if you have your Bibles, get them out, open them up to Hosea chapter 1. We're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see adultery before God, restoration by God, and obedience to God. We're going to see that we are to be mission-driven because even in the midst of infidelity against God and in His righteousness to judge, He makes a promise and provides a way for an eternal, loving relationship with all who give their hearts to Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, and we'll dive right in. Father, I do pray um, over our time together, Lord, I pray for Your Word to speak. Lord, I pray for Your Word to speak more uh, than I ever could. I pray that every syllable, God, that comes off of my lips that is not from You falls on deaf ears. God, and everyone that is from you gives life. Lord, would you be with us as we turn to your word. We trust your word, Lord, and we trust that it does not return to you empty as you have promised. God, be with us. Jesus, be glorified in your name. Amen. Okay, Hosea, chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him. Go and marry a woman of promiscuity. Have children of promiscuity, for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. 
So he went and married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Name her Loruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. I will certainly take them away. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah, and I will deliver them by the Lord their God. I will not deliver them by bow, sword, or war, or by horses and cavalry. After Gomer had weaned Loruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said to him, Name him Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. Now, I want to give you guys some context uh, before we really uh, dive into these, these verses. Hosea was written during a time where Israel was being taken off into exile, uh, into slavery in Babylon. It's a time where God was warning his people of the judgment that was imminently coming. Uh, they had forgotten the ways that the Lord had raised them, uh, that he had delivered them. And they were engaging uh, in all sorts of evilness. They were... Um, having temple prostitution in God's temple, and they were have even having child sacrifice um, as part of their worship. It was a treacherous time. And it's when this, while all this is going on, in the midst of all this, that God speaks to Hosea and displays this powerful message through the prophet's life. So we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson this morning in order to uh, make our points more pronounced. And I feel like it's very important that we do so. So hang in there, stay with me, um, and I think it'll be beneficial for all of us. So the first thing we see in Hosea is adultery before God. And God has chosen Hosea to be a prophet of his word, to be a man set apart for service to the Lord. That's what prophets are. But here, at the very beginning of his prophetic career, look at verse 2, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea. He tells Hosea to go and marry a woman of promiscuity. You see, God is using Hosea as a real-life stand-in to tell the story of Israel's adultery. Hosea obeys the Lord. He gets married to Gomer. They have a son. God tells him, name this son Jezreel, which means God sows. Now, why would God tell Hosea to name his son God sows? Well, here's here's our history lesson. This son's name is an omen of the the demise of the kingdom of Israel that we see in verses 4 and 5. In 841 BC, God orders a man named Jehu to overthrow the ruling dynasty of Israel, located in the valley of Jezreel. So this is what happened. Jehu goes and he does that. He overthrows the dynasty. He kills King Ahab. He even goes as far as throwing Queen Jezebel out of the top window of the castle or whatever it was, running her over with horses and letting dogs eat her. Then they go and decapitate all of Ahab's King Ahab's sons. This is in First and Second Kings. It's pretty graphic, right? It's pretty hard. So why? Why would God, one, do that? Tell Jehu to do that, and then to have Hosea name his son after a place like that. 
Well, because God takes sin really serious. Because of Israel's adultery against God. So in 1 Kings chapter 16, we do read, Then as if the son of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, were not enough, or following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, were not enough, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and then proceeded to serve Baal and bow and worship to him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings who were before him. You see, Jezebel was from a place that loved idol worship. They loved to worship false gods. She rubbed off on her new husband, King Ahab. And he was the most wicked king against God that Israel had ever seen. Now, before we get too bent out of shape or too disgusted with Jezebel or Ahab or the idol worship or the child sacrifice or anything else, I want us to remember what we read just a few weeks back in Romans 1, 2, and 3. Left to ourselves, we're really not a whole lot different. I'm not a whole lot different. How many times do we sacrifice our devotion to God on an altar of comfort? How many times do we sacrifice our proclamation of the gospel on an altar of fear? How many times do we sacrifice our kids on altars of sports and entertainment and not placing things in front of our duty to lead them in the Lord and model that for them? How many times do we display worship to vanity, success, and bank accounts, and power? Let us not forget what we read in Romans 2, that we all have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and served what has been created instead of the Creator. Through God telling Hosea to name his son Jezreel, there's a lot of irony in that. For the dynasty of Israel will end the same way that it began, suggesting that it had become just as guilty as the defiled dynasty before it. And far be it from we be delivered from our false worship and sin to then see our lives succumb to new altars, just as they had before. Back in our story, in verse 6, Gomer gives birth to two illegitimate children. Hosea is not named the father of these children. One is named Loruhama, which means no compassion or not loved. And one is named Loami, which just means not my people, not my own. So Hosea is having to go through this terrible reality that he now has a daughter named No Compassion, a son named Not My Own, and both have been born to a wife that is in the arms of another man or men. This is the feeling that God gets when people turn their back on his statutes and reject his love, even his people. You see, Israel is lured away by sin. And where sin is, death swallows. 
And I think we see that even in a, a silly illustration of a child's movie. My kids like watching Find an Nemo. I've probably seen it 37,000 times. Um, if you've seen it, though, there's a scene where Nemo's dad, Marlin, is with his new friend, Dory, and they see a light really deep down in, in the ocean, in the darkness of the ocean. They start moving towards the light, and they get really mesmerized by it. So Dory gets close, and, and she says, It's so, so pretty. And Marlon gets close to it, and he says, Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling happy, and that's a big deal for me. And then Dory says, I want to touch it. And she lifts her little fin up, and she slaps the light, and it bounces around and starts to move, and they give short chase to it saying, come here, little light, come here, light, I'm going to get you. But the light gets close and leads to the face of a terrifying anglerfish. At that moment, they, all, they both stop. Marlon says, good feelings gone. And the anglerfish lights up and it comes alive and opens its ferocious jaws and they skirt and get out of there. Now, an anglerfish is a really scary fish. They're pretty ugly and nasty. National Geographic describes this fish and says that their most distinctive feature, worn only by females, is a piece of dorsal spine that protrudes above their mouths like a fishing pole, hence their name. And they're uh, tipped with a lure of luminous flesh. This built-in rod baits prey close enough to be snatched. Their mouths are so big and their bodies so pliable, they can actually swallow prey up to twice their own size. Now, just as Marlon and Dory were lured by false desires and mesmerizing thoughts, so too was Israel lured by deceit and false desires and mesmerizing thoughts. And so too are we. And not only that, but as an anglerfish can swallow up to twice its own size, so too does sin start as something small and expand itself to devour twice the amount of life. It's about sin, about being lured away from its journey, its marriage with God, that God addresses His people in the first half of chapter 2. <clears throat> I don't think I could be any more clear than God, so we're going to go ahead and read it. Uh, just two little sections of chapter 2, one through, or 2 through 5 and verse 13. Hosea 2.2, 2, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the promiscuous look from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and expose her as she was on the day of her birth. I will make her like a desert and like a parched land and I will let her die of thirst. I will have no compassion on her because they are the children of prom on her children because they are the Children of promiscuity. Yes, their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully. For she thought, I will follow my lovers, the men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. Verse 13. And I will punish her for, the days of, for her days of the bales to which she burned incense. She put on her rings and her jewelry and she followed her lovers, but she forgot me. This is the Lord's declaration. In the lyrics of 
come thou fount that we just sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. How true is that? Not just for Israel, but for us, for me. We forget our devotion to God. But there is restoration by God, and praise be to him that he does not leave Israel or us in the wake of this sinful destruction. Because when God promises restoration, restoration will be secured. God makes a promise in chapter 1, verse 7 that we read. And he follows it up. He follows up this promise in verses 10 and 11 by saying that the Israelites will one day be innumerable. And the people, at the end of verse 10, they will be called sons of the living God. And Judah and Israel, verse 11, will be made one with one ruler, one king from the Davidic line. And God said they would even call each other my people in compassion, reversing the names that he had told Hosea to give his children. You see, God loves with an unrelenting love. He heals as a perfect physician. He restores as a kindred redeemer. He declares his love as a perfect husband. And he will pursue his people. Listen to how God speaks. In chapter 2, when he changes, he shifts his language from judgment to restoration. Chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I am going to persuade her. Lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Verse 16, And that day, this is the Lord's declaration, You will call me my husband, and no longer call me my Baal. Verse 19, I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. On that day, I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. Verse 23, I will sow her in the land for myself, and I will have compassion on Loruhama. And I will say to Loami, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. Is this not the most beautiful language? Listen to how much God loves his people. He loves to restore. I think commentary writer Robert Christholm Jr. sums it up very well by saying, the image is a bold one. The Lord speaks seductively and romantically to his wife in an effort to win back her favor. When the Lord speaks in this way, when you read words like this, does it lure you? Does it lure you more than sin? to behold restoration, to love this type of language from God that it's for you. So we come to chapter 3, and the text shifts back from God and Israel in chapter 2 to Hosea and his real-life, real-time drama representing God's future deliverance of his people. 
as Israel will go off into exile, Gomer does. She throws her life and love into the arms of others and being brought to the lowest of lows. But God tells Hosea, don't leave her there. Don't leave her there, Hosea. Go after her. Go get her. And in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we read this. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes, which was a form of worship to the Baals. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley. And I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any other man, for I will act the same toward you. Now we can read these verses, these short three verses of how Hosea went after his wife and purchased her and miss a lot of the realness of them. You know, miss the feeling in them, miss the action. I think telling them in a story can really draw those things out. So can I tell you a story this morning? Can I? Amen, okay. Uh, so I heard uh, a pastor I love to listen to, Pastor Louis Giglio out of Atlanta. I heard him tell this story in a pretty riveting manner a few years back. He gives some context over uh, two or three minutes that we've spent the last uh, 20 or so plus minutes on. And then he, he dives into the story of Hosea being a man who's trying to in a despicable time, he's trying to hold a family together. He's got three children, two which are illegitimate kids, and a wife that goes through seasons of running out on him. And at some point, someone comes along and tells Gomer, Gomer, come with me, and I'll give you everything that you've ever wanted. Gomer, I'll give you the world. And we can live it up. And so Hosea comes home one day, and, Ho and Gomer's gone. She's long gone. And she goes off with her new lover, and he promises of the world, and he says, Gomer, come with me, and we can have our fill of life. We can do everything you've ever dreamed, and I'll give it all to you. And they lived it up. Gomer and her new lover, they lived it up but their relationship was destined for death. It was born in deceit and delusion, and it could never handle the pressures of commitment in this life. So one day, Gomer's new lover, he wakes up and he thinks, you know what, what am I doing? What am I doing? I've, I've had this time, I've had my fun with this lady who's got tons of problems at home. She's Loved by another man, if he even still loves her. She's got children from multiple men. I think I've had my fling. I've had my fun. I've had my fill. And with that, he kicks her out. And with nowhere to run and nowhere to go and no place to call home, Gomer goes and sells herself into slavery just to survive. And as it does, somehow, news 
trickles back to Hosea. And someone comes and tells him what's happened. And it might have come to him, probably not, maybe not, but it might have come to him this way. Some uh, messenger or friend or acquaintance of Hosea's comes and says, Dude, Hosea, you're never going to believe what I saw. Unreal. I was out on business a couple weeks ago, and I saw Gomer. Man, she was broken down and tattered and shattered, and she looked terrible. I barely even recognized her, man. But you know what? Isn't that all right, Hosea? Isn't that good? Isn't that what she deserves? All that she put you guys through, all that she's done to you. You know, you remember how she abandoned you, Hosea? Well, he abandoned her. You know how she turned her back on you, Hosea? Well, he turned her back on her. You know how she left you and left you for nothing and hurt you? Well, he did that to her. And you know what, Hosea? Serves her right, right, man? Because what goes around comes around. Isn't that right? And the messenger probably thought that Hosea was going to respond and say something like, yeah, you know what? It's about time that she feels what we've been feeling all these years and she's going through something of what I've been going through. But that's not how Hosea responded. And when Hosea heard the message, his heart broke and his tears welled up in his eyes and he said, dude, what are you telling? Are you telling me that you saw Gomer, my wife? You saw my beloved? What city were you in? Where were you coming from? Tell me, where were you? And the messenger's like, man, what, what are you talking about? I don't know. She was on an auction block and somebody bought her. There was a price to be paid and someone paid it. And I don't know how those things work. And I was going through wherever. And Hosea, sa- Hosea says, just tell me where she was the last time you saw her. And he packs up his things and he heads out on his mission to find his bride. And he goes through the cities and he says, have you seen a lady named Gomer? Have you seen her? And he comes to a new city and he says, have you seen a lady named Gomer? She's about this tall. She has this kind of hair. She looks like this. Her name is Gomer. Have you heard of her? And his steps lead to a place where he walks into an auction block. He walks into a market and he sees Gomer. He sees his wife and he totally melts in the moment and he says, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? And the story unfolds, and for 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley, he pays the price sufficient to buy back Gomer, and he takes her down off the auction block, and he holds her into his arms, and he holds her into his chest, and he says, Honey, I love you. I love you. And I have come after you, and I will be yours, Gomer. Will you be mine? I will be yours, Gomer. Will you be mine? He loves her unrelentingly. And as Hosea and Gomer fade into the back pages of the Old Testament, Jesus emerges like the dawn of day. And he says, I will come for you. I will seek after you. And when I come and I find you, I will pour out my affection for you. And with blood that is pure and divinity that is perfect in every way, I will pay for you. Because right now you are owned by death. 
You are the product of the evil one. But I have what it takes to buy you back. And he comes into the auction market of our world. And he comes into our place and he sees our price and he says, I want her and I want him and I want her and I want him and I have what it takes to buy them back to purchase their freedom. And he pays the price sufficient and he takes us down off the auction block and he holds us in his arms and he holds us close to his chest and he says, you are my beloved, you are my child and I love you and I will be yours. If you will be mine, I will be yours. If you will be mine. This is who Jesus is. And this, friends, this is why, this is why we should be driven to be on mission for our God. When you're loved with a love like this, how can your life not be with ecstatic obedience, with full devotion, with reciprocal love? When you experience the love of Jesus, it should overwhelm you. It should force your lips to spill the message of his love to all those that you meet. In word, in deed, in the gospel-centered life that is infatuated with the infinite love of Jesus. You see, passions for the poor, the unreached, the lost, the unbroken, or the broken, they're good passions to have, but they will never carry you into a lifelong God-glorifying mission. Only love can do that. And Hosea did exactly what he was told. He did exactly that. We don't have record of Hosea telling God, I'm not gifted in that God. Get someone else to forgive Gomer. Of course not. Hosea loved God and he obeyed him. Let us not be a people that tell God, I don't know how to forgive God. I'm not gifted in evangelization. I'm not gifted in sharing the gospel, God. I don't want to let people into my life and be in a small group. Jesus paid the price and purchased your freedom. He's given you his love. And may LCF be a place where that love is reciprocated back to God. You see, it shouldn't even be just what we do. It should be who we are. We can't just come here on Sundays, sit in a chair, and then leave and consciously live the rest of our week and not be intentional with our lives. God's love is worth more than that. Brian, you guys come up. Why should I live on mission? Because even in the midst of infidelity against God and in his righteousness to judge that, he makes a promise and provides a way for an eternal loving relationship with all who give their hearts to him. And I enjoy that love. And I want to share that love. If you're here today and you don't believe this, 
and don't know this love, I pray that you talk to someone close by you, that you reach out to one of our pastors. You do whatever it takes to come into contact with this love. If you are here today and you do know this love, you've experienced this love, get involved in missions. You can be on mission in your own life. Spreading the gospel of Jesus' love in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood. Learn how to share the gospel. Come to something like the No Place Left training this coming Saturday. Learn, get tools to share. Learn how to talk with people of other faiths. Sign up for the secret church that's coming in April. Volunteer in Kids Point. Volunteer with A2J Church Plant. Volunteer with the small church plant at the Oxford Grand Retirement Home. Pour out your life for the one that has poured out his love for you. See, Tim last week said, told all you guys to write down everything that you did and next to it put why you did it. How'd that look? I want everyone to do that again this week. And see, are you motivated by love? To be a walking, talking megaphone for God's love and his salvation in the gospel. Let us worship King Jesus. Quite stand.